Is it good? It's good to be in the house of God. I don't know what you guys have been in and going through this week. I can imagine that there might have been some tough things that you've had to face. Uh, and I don't know if health is an issue. I know that there's some things going around um, uh, around uh, now in health issues, and some people are just starting to get over it. But whatever you face, uh, just know that our God is an amazing God. He knows exactly what's going on in your heart right now. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're struggling with, what you're going through. Uh, and he is the one that is here right now. Um, and it is his righteousness that he offers as a gift to all those who receive, believe and receive him as Lord and Savior. And so turn with me to the book of Romans, the fifth chapter. If you do not have a Bible, somebody, oh, we have beauty coming to the table. Yes, I will. <laughs> If you would like a Bible, uh, Patty will bring one to you. We uh, believe in opening up God's Word in front of our face so that uh, as good Bereans, we can see that the Word is being correctly uh, divided. And so um, put your hand up and a Bible will be passed to you. And so um, go with me uh, to Romans 5. We're going to be looking at the first 11 verses of Romans 5. And... Uh, I love this. I love this. I love Paul. You know, if we think about Paul and how many years he had such good theology but didn't know the one that the theology pointed toward. And he's not one that is going to let us stay stuck in just good ideas. If it doesn't drill down to our heart, it really is meaningless and when, G when Paul met, that, met Jesus on that road to Damascus, everything changed because he realized what everything was pointing to. And so as he has been going over for weeks, this whole idea of justification, this whole idea of the righteousness of God credited to us, that we're chosen and that we're confident uh, in the midst of hopelessness because of, uh, because of what God did for us in the righteousness of God in that he then created within this heart of ours a heart that is just as though it has never sinned. I just want you to think about that. How much our life has been driven by what we see our lives doing in sin. And then we create a doctrine that says, I can never change, and so I might as well just sin. You know, you think about that, this happening all over, and even in the church. Even in the church. And so, Paul is trying to show us that the truth that comes from God's word, the truth that comes from a God who accredited Abraham before any action that Abraham did, before any outward circumcision, before any outward anything, because he believed God, God accredited him with righteousness. And it was in that that Abraham's life changed, not perfectly, right? We went over that, but it did change. It did change. But here in these verses, Paul is saying, I, I, I will not just keep this as good theology. I will not just let this stay. I want to drill it down into your heart what this does for your soul and how it changes you. And for you to just begin to allow the Holy Spirit to open your mind up to see everything changes because of him. Everything. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? I pray that you do. And so in these verses, and I want, as you're looking at God's word with me, um, we're going to go through uh, the verses together. Uh, just, we're just going to uh, drill down on them um, a few at a time. When I talk about, and I've talked about in the past, about transformative, that a life can be transformed. There's a lot of the people that don't 
I don't think they understand it, and I don't think they believe it. A transformed life or transformation is defined to change the form or the outward appearance, to change the condition, nature, and function of which is being transformed. You know, God's not here just to make you a better person. He's here to change you into a new creature, into a new form. And receiving that is life-changing. But understanding that, that it's not based on how well you, you live it out, but based on your own faithfulness, but it's based on the faithfulness of God. Jesus said these words in John 10. He said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Is that you? Do you know the voice of Jesus? Are you following? I know because some of you have to follow him through some rough roads. And that's when you know the voice the best is when you go through the hard stuff and you still hear his voice and you still make the decisions because he's the one leading you. He says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one, listen, can, will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has, uh, who, who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand and I and the Father are one. You know, there's a strange teaching that has come out in this whole performance-based Christianity that has taught people to believe that the security of their salvation comes from how well they hold on to their faith. That a person can lose their salvation if they don't measure up to God's standards. And it has caused a continual uncertainty in the lives of people that have been buried under this doubt. This is completely unbiblical. The follower of Jesus understood what Jesus said when even John wrote in 1 John 5, 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Jesus said, no one can snatch, me out, snatch them out of my hand. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Followers know this to be true. That's why a person can stand up in front of you today and speak. Because I know what I, what I am saying is the truth of God's word. And it's built not on the faithfulness of Wayne or on your faithfulness, but on God's faithfulness. Our security of our salvation is in God alone. So, uh, David knew this when he said in Psalm 36.5, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Isaiah knew it when he said righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Jeremiah knew it when he said in Lamentations, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Paul knew it when he said in Thessalonians, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And he will do it. Paul said to Timothy, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown his own. If Jesus lives in you, God is faithful to the son that lives in you. That's the security. Nobody can fake being a Christian because being a Christian is he who dwells within you. And it's his faithfulness. And then the, the um, uh, writer of Hebrews said this in the 10th, uh, 10th chapter, 23rd verse, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Is faithful. God's faithfulness is the anchor that holds us fast the heart of a believer and gives them freedom to live the life, a total transformed life, growing under the promises of God. It's the whole point. In this truth, Paul gives us, in this chapter, Paul gives us seven golden links that connects the anchor of God's faithfulness to the heart of the believer Let's look at this chapter. If you don't have a book in front of you, go by somebody that does. We, we need to look at these words together. Look at verse 1. It says this, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
The therefore is all the stuff that he's been teaching up to this point about the justification of God, about the fact that in God's righteousness, he has cleansed you, made you clean, just as if you never sinned. Therefore, since we have this, we have the first golden link is, if you're writing notes, peace with God in Jesus Christ. We have peace. We have peace with God. There is no greater need in a human being's life than to have peace in their own soul. And that is what Jesus Christ brings. We're introduced to this in the seventh chapter of Isaiah when he says that he is the, it's prophetically said about the Messiah, he's the prince of peace. It's the very, it's the very nature of who he is. The Messiah is the prince of peace. Jesus affirms his position as Messiah in regards to that when he says in John 14, uh, uh, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. See, peace is not built on the foundation of a feeling. As the world attempts for us to build it. It is built on the fact of identifying who is the nature of peace. And it's Jesus Christ. In fact, Ephesians 2.14 says these words, for he himself is our peace. It's the whole point. That is how in, in, um, um, how in Ephesians 6, we can be fitted with the shoes of the gospel of peace. Do you, do you understand what Paul was trying to do there? The, the Romans, when they went to war, they had special suit, shoes that they wore. They would be, it's kind of, I wonder if we got our cleats, like in football, from this. But they would have spikes on the bottom of their shoes. And those spikes were set so that when they set their feet and their shield and their sword, they couldn't be moved. It was just set in the ground and they could they could begin to fight forward. That's the same thing at the, what, of the peace of Jesus Christ. It's the thing that sets your soul in a solid ground. And you say, isn't there a song about that? On the solid ground? It's Christ the solid rock I stand. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. That is what the peace of Jesus Christ is. The courage of faithful obedience is built on the fact that Jesus Christ is your peace. And you need that because as you walk forward through the wind and the storm, you're going to need him. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so um, as, I, as I thought about this, I can remember years ago, um, there was some false accusations that was made uh, against me and the peer. And uh, about six people were assembled to come alongside the accuser. And I remember walking through this room because the meeting was in the small room. And as I walked through here, I said these words. I said, I said, God, you're the one who started the pier. I don't have to protect the pier. I will walk in with humility. And if there's criticism I need to hear, I will listen. But I will not accept false accusations against me or this church. And as that meeting went on, Every accusation was dispelled, and there was a peace that left that meeting. Because we serve a God of peace. Now, I know that some of you need to hear that today, because there are places in your life that are not at peace. And so, I don't know your situation, but walk obediently forward, trusting the peace that surpasses all understanding. Because that's what it is. It's beyond human understanding. But it's there if you'll, fight, if you'll follow him. It's there. And uh, as I thought about this, I thought about the, of Manoah, who is Samson's father. And as um, an angel of the Lord came down and revealed to them they were going to have a child of, a, of extraordinary strength, he asked for him to come back. And he asked him this, this thing. He said, he said, what is your name? And he's, do you remember what he said? 
Do you remember what the answer of the uh, angel of the Lord was? It's beyond understanding. That's our Jesus. That is the peace that he brings. And he is our firm foundation. No longer, listen to me, can the enemy wage war against your soul. You get that? That doesn't mean he's not going to wage war against your flesh. But he can no longer wage war against your soul. Do you have that kind of security today? It's an eternal security that comes only through Jesus Christ. And listen to this. It strengthens not just our faith, but our service. All of a sudden, because we have this peace, we don't have to protect ourselves anymore. How much do we do, people of God, because we're protecting our own lives? Right? You think you, you have to make enough money to make sure you get to the end? You, you make sure that you're protected and, and, and keep yourself away from criticism? And keep, how much of our life is dependent on that? And Jesus is saying, no, I'm your eternal security. Let it affect your walk faithfully. Let it affect your service as you give your life to the Lord. So that is the, uh, that's the first uh, golden um, link uh, to, uh, to our security in uh, the righteousness of God. Let it sink into your soul. Let it pierce your soul. The second is found in, in verse 2a. Listen, look at it. Through whom, right, we have peace with Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith, listen, into this grace in which we now stand. The second golden link is standing in grace. This verse creates the atmosphere of the fact that our lives are gripped by the grace of God. Is your life gripped by that? Is it just astounded you that this thing that is of un, unmerited favor, you did nothing to deserve it, you, you didn't walk into it because you thought it was a great idea, but because of God's great love, he chose to give you grace. God's riches at Christ's expense, everything that was on the cross, it is God's choice to give to you. So this verse creates that grip by grace. Um, the first word that's important here is the word access. It's used three times in the New Testament. One is found in Ephesians 2.18. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. The most important phrase here is through him, which literally means, and another word for access is introduced. And so what it means is that we were introduced to the Father through the Son. Now this is, this is, um, this was scandalous to the people of old. They did not believe because of their history that they had direct access to God. And so for Paul to say this was scandalous to them. And yet Paul is revealing the truth. If they would even look at their own history, how many times God didn't try to access them, didn't come to them, didn't reveal himself to them, and yet they chose to keep him at arm's length. You remember what they said to Moses? They said when, when, the, when the mountain thundered, right, and, um, and, the, and they were sorely afraid of God, they said, you talk to God, and then we'll listen to you. No. He did, but it gave them the opportunity to walk away. Access is the fact that we can have direct access to God it's the, it's the act of being introduced to somebody, listen to me, due to the relationship you have with a person doing the introduction, not based on any personal accomplishment of your own. In relationship with Jesus, the one who gave his life to us, we get access to the Father. He's opened the way. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But all who come through me will have access, direct access to God. Wow! That'll change the landscape of your life if you get that. That is what grace is. But then it leads us to the second word, and that is Stand which is the act, again, of standing firmly or securely on the ground which you have been given. 
The grace of God was the ground which Jesus gave to us to stand firmly on it, not living our life wondering if we'll lose it. Not wondering if we'll lose it. John Stott said this, we do not fall in and out of grace like, like those who stand before sovereigns and then because of what they do or don't do, their sovereign can say, get out of my sight or stay here. This is not our God. Our security and our confidence comes from the truth that our sovereign is the one who opened the door. Our sovereign is the one who opened the door. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Standing then is the confidence that we receive from what has been given to us. So Hebrews says this in the 10th chapter, draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full of assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Have you experienced Jesus opening the door of the Father for you? Have you ex experienced that access that you've been given and that your heart is opened up to God and the reality is that you now can have direct, you don't have to go through anybody else but Jesus Christ, but you now have direct access to him and you can stand on that truth. There was, uh, there was a poet who came from the 1800s. His name was Horatus Bonner. Uh, his friends knew him as Horace. He was in the eight, uh, late 1800s in Scotland. He was known as a Scottish churchman uh, who wrote poems and, hymn, and hymns. And these are the words that he wrote. Thy bonds, not mine, O Christ, unbind me of my chain and break my prison doors, ne'er to be barred again. I love that. Thy righteousness, O Christ, alone can cover me. No righteousness avails save that which is of thee. Thy righteousness alone can clothe and beautify. I wrap it around my soul. In this, I'll live and die. I love that. What, are you, what you wrap around your soul, people of God, it's either grace or condemnation. Are you wrapping grace around your soul, standing firm in it? It's my prayer that you have. That is the second golden link. The third is found in the second half of chapter 2. and it's, It is this. Let's read. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Believers joy in the hope of glory. Boasting in this, in this verse is, is um, um, interpreted as rejoicing or joy. We live into joy when we focus on the hope we have in Christ. Before Jesus Christ, every single one of us were under the wrath of God. Every one of us. No different. All the same. We had no peace. We had nothing to stand on. It was a life that was floating through this world's existence, but it wasn't going anywhere. And then Jesus Christ came. And he says these words in John 17, 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. This joy becomes your boast when you hold on to your confidence and hope and conviction of this truth. Hebrews 3, 6 says, but Christ is faithful as the son over the God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and hope that we are in glory. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold on to our original conviction firmly to the end. Now listen to me. This is not a picture of trying harder, but a truth that your only ability to hold on is because of the one who's holding on to you. Jesus is faithful as the son over God's house, and you are God's house. It is the faithfulness of Jesus holding on to us. 
Christian perseverance is the reality that God is ultimately the holder and we get the privilege to live out being held steadily. I don't know about you guys, but in this world today, there's no greater time to talk this, to say this word. There's no greater time where turmoil seems to be leading so many different areas. I have story after story, things that happened this week where people just walked in and caused turmoil. Not trusting in God, but turmoil because human pride has to control. And we need to believe in the joy that comes in our hope that Jesus is the faithful one over this house and you are that house. Do you believe that? Do you have that hope that he's over top of you and he's got you? Yeah. Amen. The joy of hope holds us steady, anchoring us to the righteousness of God. Fourth link. Three... A through five, listen to it. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So not only do we have hope in the glory of God, but we have hope in what? And we boast in what? And we have joy in what? Suffering? Get real. Do you? Do you? Do you rejoice in the suffering that you experience because of your faith in Jesus Christ? You should. Peter tells us that, that, it, that being persecuted for your faith being persecuted for your faith actually is the evidence that the Holy Spirit lives in you. I want you to think about that. I get it that we've come from a, a history of just, hey, kind of going with the flow. I get that. We've built a religion of comfort. That is just as, oh, everybody just gets along. We're just kumbaya. And, that. and that's not true. When I went to a Christian school, it was almost like we had a spirit over us that it just encouraged us not to share our faith with each other. You know why? Because everybody believes the same thing. You know, one of the biggest areas that Set Free has been ministering over the last year in is Christian schools in which Satan has reared his head in families because nobody's standing up for their faith. And families are falling. And they don't know why. But when you start to stand up, when you start to stand up in the faith of Jesus Christ and you tell the truth of the word of God, you're going to be persecuted. And you should celebrate that. You should find joy in that. Because it's the, as long as it's this, it's the word of God, you're standing on truth. You're standing on truth. Paul said it this way, now rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Listen to me. The entrance to the call of Jesus Christ's life was the cross. The entrance to the call on our lives are going to be the same. If you don't get that, get out of Dodge. You don't need Jesus. You, don't, you, you want some comfortable thing, but you don't really want Jesus because if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to follow him not only out of Bethlehem, but you're going to follow him through Gethsemane and you're going to follow him to Jerusalem and outside the city, you're going to carry your own cross and if you don't get that, get out now because it's always just going to be a frustrating thing to you. It is the future of, of the church and it's got to be built on Jesus Christ. It's got to be built on the one and, and, and with an attitude of I'm willing to be filled up with the, with the suffering. 
that are still remaining for the church. I'm willing to be, just like Paul said. Matthew 5, 11 through 12 says this, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen! Amen! What I'd like to do right now is just say, hey, so how's the, how's the persecution going? Wouldn't that be kind of fun just to hear? No, it wouldn't be fun, but wouldn't it be interesting to hear what people have endured for the sake of the gospel? You know what the enemy has done? The enemy has distracted us. He has distracted us politically. He has distracted us in our finances. He has distracted us in our health. He has distracted us in all different areas so that we're so caught up in all these other concerns that we don't even live it out loud in front of people. It's time for the church to stand up on the rock of Jesus Christ and to know what's important and to remember. And, and there, so these verses, oh, I just got to get back to some of these things, but these verses really kind of give us a line of what happens here. First of all, it is um, the suffering produces perseverance. It is, it is the, the act of remaining underneath the pressure it's not running out. There's two realities here. Um, and, and they're both not easy. One reality is that you have a hard heart. And when, and when the Lord presses down on you, you're like a hard BB. You shoot out. You're not going to stay under it. It's a lot of people do that. The other reality is, is a ripe grape. That when you're squeezed down, you're crushed. And the juice of your faith squeezes out of you and affects other people. Both realities are tough. I can tell you this, the hard-hearted one is the tougher. Because you may lose, if you're soft before the Lord, you may lose something in this life. You may lose something you think you need. You may be turned away from something that's not right for your life. But the juices that squeeze out become a beautiful Drink for somebody else to see the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. But if you're hard-hearted and you shoot out to the side, pretty lonely place. Pretty lonely place. The men went to, uh, went to Forge a few weeks ago. And we made these. These are axes. And, um, and so what we had to do, we had, this is a ball-peen hammer. So it started out, it started out like this. And it turned to be like this. And, um, but I can tell you, and every guy can, <laughs> I remember seeing Jay helping, I think it was Andrew. And they're like over there, and they got, they got his thing, and it's red hot, and he's going like this. <laughs> it was 117 degrees in that room. And these guys are like sweating like crazy, and they're, and, and they're just pounding this metal in place. That's exactly what's happening in our lives. It is. God is saying, I want to remake you into a different form, but it's going to take pressure. It's going to take pounding. It's going to take chiseling. It's going to take pruning. Are you willing to stay under it? Are you willing to preserve, uh, to be preserved? Because the next thing is, is it's character that's built. And character can be um, interpreted, in, in, the, in fact, in the King James Version, it's experience, meaning proof. Character is the proof over time that reveals the true character of a person. Who you really are is what you're doing over time. That's who you really are. If you keep say, seeing yourself, oh, I want to follow God, but then you kind of go back to what you know is wrong. You, I want to find, and I go, and you just, it's over time. My wife will often say, well, set your clock. Set your clock. We'll see if this is true. It's true. Are you 
growing in the character of God? Are you growing in his love, in his mercy, in his hope, in his peace, in his joy, in all the things that create the atmosphere of the heart for those who have been changed? But then it's the final one is hope. This is the, in, in this verse, it says that, um, and hope does not, right? So, so um, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Hope comes in the midst of endurance and experience of the trials because you know one outcome. This is interesting. This is the first time since the beginning of, of Romans that he talks about the Holy Spirit. I want you to make that note. This is the first time. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Why does, not, why does hope put, not put us to shame? It's what you put your hope in. If you put your hope in me, Andrew, are we ever going to let anybody down? Uh, yeah. uh, thank you. <laughs> and it's together. Yep. Or if we put our hope in the things of this world, are the things of this world letting you down? Oh, yeah. Yes. That's where the shame comes from because when, what, when the object of what you're putting your hope in does not follow through, you're put to shame. You come to realize, man, I've been putting my hope in the wrong thing. But why doesn't the hope in God put us to shame? And loves down. He never does. He never does. In fact, it's because the Holy Spirit lives within us. Listen to me. The hope that is in God through the Holy Spirit means intimacy with God. And as we draw closer to God, Lynn, has God ever let you down? Ever in your life? Not yet. You're still, it's still out. It's, it's still, the, the court's still out. Stop it. <laughs> it's not out. He has never let us down. He never will let us down. And he will always be the answer. Always. I mean, I... I Because it's drawing to relationship. And that's exactly what God wants. He wants to be close to you so that you can be close to each other, so that you can bring others close, so that, I mean, that's what your heart wants. You, don't you get that, that you ran after drugs because ultimately your heart wanted love? You ran after something you knew was wrong because ultimately you knew you wanted love. It's, it's that intimacy. That is why God's spirit witnesses and pours out. It not even pours out, but it overflows. Jesus said that if you receive me, I will become a, a spring of living water that overflows inside of you. You get this? This is not just some doctrinal good things to know. It's life-changing truth. You now have your hope set on what's on the right object and on what's real, and your life is transforming and changed because the spirit that lives in you is always guiding and always leading you to the truth. Your life has been lived in falsities. Come on, how many of in this room have lived in falsities in our life? Come on, come on, people of God. Yes, all of us have, even those who didn't raise their hand. All of us have, but the Holy Spirit is our hope because it's always driving us to the right object of our hope, the Lord, and it always is based on truth. One verse that came to my mind was um, John, um, 1 John 3, verse 1. Listen to what it says. It says, uh, I'm going to read the first three verses, but it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now 
we, that we are children of God. No, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Changes our life. I know that there are those of us that have been struggling with addictions. I know there have been some of us that have been struggling with all kinds of things. But as we keep our eyes on Christ, as we keep on his eyes on the hope of our salvation, he will not disappoint us. I've had the privilege of walking with some people and, and seeing the hope after, after hard times, seeing the hope rise back up in their eyes. It's because they're not looking at what happened physically. They're looking at what happens spiritually. That the Lord himself is their only hope. And so that is the fourth golden link. The fifth golden link is found in verse 6 through 8. You see that just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though a good person, someone might possibly dare to die, and I love this verse, I hope you do too, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. The fifth golden link is the quality and the character of divine love. What is the point of the unlimited, all-enduring, never-ending love of God? How can we be secure in this love? It's here in this verse. First of all, it's right time. God's love is a love of compassion not only stepping in the shoes of us, but also the amazing mercy to care about the exact time we needed it. The exact time. Now, you say, how important is that? Illustration. August 3, 2022 may not mean a thing to you guys, but for at least a month ahead of that date, it meant a whole lot to me. And as the date drew closer, my wife kept having to come up with ideas of things we need to do on that date, and I kept telling her, we're not going to do anything on that date. She was a little bit confused. Why? On that date, I took her out, and I said, "Hun, 44 years ago, we had our first date as 18-year-olds. We actually met each other when we were 12, but this is the second time we met each other. But 44 years before that, we had our first date. And I said, I just want you to know that I think of that time yet today. The right time. God loves you so much. The right time. It, said that in, it says in Ephesians that at the fullness of time, Christ came. Our God is living outside of time, but he still has made time for you. Don't ever forget that. That is awesome. The second thing is, is powerless. God's love is not based on what I can give to him, but what he has given to me. Pure love is a love of sacrifice. Powerless to escape from sin was my reality. To escape from death is my reality on this earth. To resist Satan is my reality. I'm powerless. Powerless to please God. In the midst of my powerlessness, he sent Jesus Christ. That's awesome. And the third word is ungodly. It means to be unrighteous, undeserving, and unlovable. I just, you know, it, it, I, verse 7 says this, and it's kind of stuck out to me. It says, Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. I wanted to put this in perspective. So I thought I'd go back in our history. It was uh, 1944 that 156,000 men were led by Lieutenant General Omar Bradley into the greatest battle of American history. The Battle of Normandy, 29,000 men died on that beach. And it, but, it took, but it turned the tide of the war. And as I thought about this verse, I thought about Bradley standing up in front of the men and saying this, Today, men, you will be embarking on the greatest battle in human history. 20% of you probably will be killed, and the rest um, will engage in a, in a chess game of surrounding the enemy. 
But what you do tomorrow could result in the freedom of the entire world from the Nazi tyranny. Just to let you know what people will do with that freedom years down the road, globalists will try to overthrow governments, schools will become war zones, People with money and authority will use it to kill, steal, and destroy. Children will be killed in the wombs of women. Children will be stolen and trafficked for money. Girls will identify as boys and boys as girls, and some will identify as animals. Family brokenness will rule the land, and most people will not even care about the freedom you're fighting for. I thought that put it in perspective. Because not only... Does God know these things that are happening out here? But he knew this heart of tyranny. And he knew this heart would reject him more than accept him. And yet, he demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The implication of this truth, God's love for all humanity does not cease on earth. I said it early and I'll say it again. His love continues for blasphemers, for atheists, for Satan worshipers, for those who are worshiping false idols until their last breath. His love does not waver. But at their last breath, in the rebellion of their own heart, they will go to hell separated from God's love for all eternity. It is a truth, but God's love on this earth will never, never end. Charles Hodge says this, if, God's love, if God loved us because we loved him, he would love us only as long as we loved him. Then our salvation would be dependent on our own treacherous hearts. But as God loves us as sinners, as Christ died for the ungodly, our salvation depends, as Paul is arguing, not on our own loveliness, but on the constancy of the love of God. Does that make sense to you? Is that transformative to you? Does that change your heart? It should. If it doesn't, you can't hear it. That's awesome. Everything you've done, everything he has seen, and yet his love has not altered. The sixth golden link, verse 9 through uh, 10 since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? I wrestled with this one for a while. It's an incredible truth, a compare and contrast of the whole thing called the already and the not yet. How many people have, have, have let the not yet lead their life instead of the already? Because there's a reality that the fullness of his deliverance is not here yet. Is that right? Right? We've got some people battling cancer. We've got people battling relational brokenness. We've got people battling things all the time. But the much more of the deliverance of Christ is this golden link. Peter tells us that in the end times there will be scoffers. There will be those who will say, where is his coming? This comes from a rebellious unbelief. A rebellious unbelief that demands God reveals himself before they believe in him. But faith says, what I know is true will lead me through. What I know is true will lead me through. These two verses lead us to what we know. What we know from Scripture is that the cross is where we were justified and reconciled. It is the work of Christ that brings these two realities together. But I want you to notice the condition of us under these two actions. We were under the wrath of God according to the verses and we were enemies of God. You need to accept that as a reality. So we were in a place of ruin by the wrath and totally against God. But here's where the much more comes in. In the light of it, 
in the light of the difficulty and the easier. The difficult was the shedding of the blood, the sacrifice of Christ, and his, and his actual death and resurrection. That was the difficult. Jesus is alive today. Amen? Amen. He's alive today because God overcame the most difficult thing in the universe. And that was Christ on the cross. Since what Jesus did on the cross by his blood, he completely covered our sins. That's justification. Which led to our reconciliation with God, which places us back into relationship with God. Logic says, according to John Stott, if God has already done the difficult thing, how can we not trust him to do the comparatively simple thing and complete the task? MacArthur says this, it's a greater work of God to bring sinners to grace than to bring saints to glory because sin is further from grace than grace is to glory. That's a great visual. My wife would like this illustration. It's easier to keep a house clean that has been consistently cleaned versus a ransacked house. So what God did was he brought your ransacked house through the blood of his son and he cleaned it. Sanctification is that he continually cleans. He continually, the reality is, it's a continual process throughout eternity. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? Because so many times when we convince ourselves we're not clean, that's what drives us back into sin. But if our God is the one who has spoken the word over us and he has cleansed our soul and he continues to clean, then we can trust that what he's done, because the hardest thing was done, he can do the easiest. I always laugh at this. I would go up to somebody like, you know, maybe Andrew and say, you're a saint. You know the first thing they say? There is no way I'm a saint. Why is that? Because they're focusing on the things that they have sinned against God. They don't believe their life has been cleaned. But if you can receive the justification and the reconciliation at the cross and what Jesus did for you, you are clean before him. And you are being cleaned. And someday you will be completely cleaned in heaven with God forever. The dude is a mighty maid. And he wants to clean you. But you've got to follow him. And, he will sh- and, and that, that's, where the, that's where the faith comes in. That's what he's done. It's peace. It's the grace. It's his love. It's the hope that you have. It's these things. Paul is saying, let these pierce your heart. Let these pierce you. These are the things that have happened at the cross. And these are the things that you are being cleaned If today you are living under the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit lives in you, you are living in the already under the deliverance of the much more of God's mercy and love, but the not yet of his fulfillment of his deliverance, which is in his presence forever, which is coming. You're in his presence on this earth, but someday we will be with him forever. You can live in this confidence of truth in the midst of a scoffing world because you know that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him against that day. He is the guarding. He is the one. That is the sixth golden link. The, all, the much more of his deliverance. The much more of his deliverance. Does that make sense to you? If he's done the hard thing, Can't he do the easier? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Seventh and final, verse 11. Not only this so, but we also boast in God through whom our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The seventh and final link is this, our joy in God. Our joy in God. Is that where your heart is right now? I've had some affirmations from, from this message. I've been hearing hearts speak to me back. Do, are you experiencing the joy of God in your heart right now? It's the culmination of all these truths coming together. Paul is saying, come on. It culminates in joy in God. 
You boast about God, right? Paul said, I will boast, nothing, I will boast of nothing else than the cross of Jesus Christ. Care any human, human um, accomplishments, what I do or what I don't do on this earth. I don't have to accomplish anything else in my life. But what God has given me through his son, Jesus Christ, is that which I boast about absolutely. And it is the peace with God, the standing in grace with God, the joy of the hope of glory, and the joy even in the midst of the suffering. It's the trust in his quality and character of his love and trusting completely in his deliverance. Again, boasting means rejoicing because in faith we come to realize that we have received everything that we need from him and that in receiving we come to the reality that we are undeserving, ungodly, disabled sinners with a posture of a beggar before a God who is the giver for God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. It is the giving God as a preacher that touched my life as I close this out, he was preaching through the book of Revelation and, uh, and as he, he was getting into the, to the last days and talking about the last days, he just kind of looked at his audience and he said, you know what? He said, uh, he said, I just have something that's coming over my heart. He said, in the years to come, the church of Jesus Christ in America is going to be reduced. He says, I sense that the Holy Spirit no longer is allowing apathy to live within his family, but he is doing a pruning and a clearing of the house. And he said, but this, he said this. He said, but you know what? Those who remain, even though fewer, will be louder in their praise. Because the ones that are going to remain are the ones who get that Jesus Christ is our peace. And that he is, the, he is the, the glory that we rejoice in. That he is the one that we are suffering for. And it is an honor to suffer for him. And that his quality and character of love has never given up on us. And that he is the true God. And I get the privilege of following him with my life. The question is this. Is that you? Somebody said this, Ryan doesn't know this statement yet, but somebody said this to me, and you know who you are. He said, after all, after all of the worship leaders that we've gone through, we have a man who is standing up in front of us and leading us to worship God. It's not based on his talent. It's not based on anything else. He's just pointing his finger and calling us to worship God. You agree with that? Yeah. And, and people of God, that is what's being called right now. But the question is, is that you? Is that you? Do you today have the peace of Jesus Christ in your heart? Are you living glory? in rejoicing over the glory of God, are you living, are you living, willing to walk through the suffering to follow him and to, and, to, and to follow him? Because there's some things you know you need to do. Are you convinced of the quality and the character of his love that it was nothing you did? You were a sinner, you were ungodly, and he came to you and he demonstrated his love for you that while you were still sinning, he died for you. Are you living in the much more that he has done the hard thing? He will bring it to an end. He will complete that which he started in you. Are you living that way so that your life is emulating the much more? And are you here to rejoice in God? Because that's what he's calling us to. Stand with me as we close out our time. But it, I just, Paul would not let it stay in the doctrine. He wanted to pierce your heart. I don't want this to just stay in some kind of doctrinal kind of knowledge. But let God's word pierce your heart. Let him look inside of you. Let him see you completely. Let him love you deeply. Let him show that he's enough for you. 
and let him be that which shines out of your life. The world needs to see it. And I pray that, that you show it to the world. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the word that's true. Thank you, Lord, for the amazing grace through Jesus Christ that you've given to us. Thank you that you've not given up on us. Thank you for Paul, who so many years of his life was stuck in doctrine but never saw Jesus. Lord, doctrine's important, but if it's not in tension with relationship, it is just a hardening of the heart. And so, Father, as we learn and grow in you, may your relationship with us become more important. Let us see that you were the one that reached down, that you were the one that pursued us, that you were the one that so loved us that you would not leave us alone, but you are the pursuer. And, Lord, today, there is someone in this room that needs to receive that because you've been pursuing them. Father, I pray that for that heart and soul. Thank you for your amazing love. Thank you for the peace that I have in my heart right now. Thank you for who you are among us. Thank you that you're here. May my worship of you measure the level of my love for you because you first loved me. In the name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen.